millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. This is Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and in this week's episode, we're reviewing Radioactive and Ellie and Abby and Ellie's Dead Art. That's a title. (laughs) That sure is. Plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And today's episode, two movies, in fact. Big one. So let's jump into Radioactive first. Radioactive tells the incredible true story of Marie Curie and her Nobel Prize winning scientific work that changed the world. Obviously, Marie Curie discovered radium, Mm. another element. Yes. And it changed the world in so many ways. And coined the term radioactivity Mm. with her husband played by Sam Riley, Pierre Curie. And we didn't mention that Rosamund Pike plays Marie Curie in this film. Of course. Very big fan of Rosamund Pike. Oh, total big fan. Yeah, absolutely. So this movie's written by Jack Thorne. Now, we were talking when we were seeing the movie Mm. that this is the third film in as many months that he's been the screenwriter for. He's a busy man, Mr. Thorne. He's a busy man. His pen has not left the pad. He was the screenwriter for Dirt Music, an Australian film that we have our episode up for you to catch, and also The Secret Garden, Mm. which we also reviewed. You can get our episode where you get your podcast. And now today, Radioactive. So, yeah, very busy man indeed. So what did you think of his screenplay? So 
and it was a very interesting screenplay and it probably plays into a few things that we'll probably unpack in terms of mm. the narrative structure and how it was really creatively told. Mm. But the one thing that I felt a little bit strange was how he wrote the dialogue. Okay. To, to me, it felt like nothing was unspoken, like every thought or feeling or observation, the characters felt the need to say it out loud and make it Mm. almost really obvious, like, just in case you missed it, they're actually quite obnoxious person. You know why? (laughs) Because we've just said they're an obnoxious person. Like, it was just no stone unturned. A little bit knocking you over the head with it. But do you think that's maybe because that's how she was? She was a very abrupt, very matter-of-fact, self-centred. She described herself as being self-absorbed. Oh, 100%. I definitely think that would have played a part in it. It was kind of the tone of how he wrote the story was very much in line with who she was as a person. I wrote three words that helped me describe her. She was direct, standoffish, but absolutely certain of herself Mm. and Mm -hmm. her circumstance and how she felt. Which was wonderful to see. And that's what this movie, I think, was supposed to be about. This wonderful woman, this brilliant woman who changed the world you know her science has helped cure cancer and helped people on the battlefield and also the bad side of it is that her Mm. science has been used for the um, atomic bomb and Chernobyl's disaster you know the radioactivity it's done as much bad as it's done good I think but I don't think that's the science's fault no I think it's just how man interprets something and puts it to use Mm. without fully understanding its repercussions which Do you think that could have been explored a bit more in the story? They did touch on it, didn't they? Like it was becoming apparent and known to her over the decades that she was a scientist working on this, Mm. that it wasn't right and things were happening that weren't good. You know, people getting sick and including herself and her husband. Mm. Because she slept with the radium. Okay. She had a little nightlight. Can we just talk about this for a second? (laughs) please. Okay. Every scene where she was in bed, you know, bar almost... No, it might have been there while she was having sex. I don't know. But she always had in her hand this little jar of radioactivity or radium Mm. that was glowing in her hand. And obviously, in hindsight, knowing what we know now, that wasn't good. It wasn't healthy. Like, not a good (laughs) idea. Put it down. She was so dedicated to her work, wasn't she? Yeah. Absolutely lived and breathed it 24-7. I think it was a comfort for her. Absolutely. Mm. And when her husband died, I think it served as even more of a comfort because it was it was him in this vial mm. because they worked together and had these scientific breakthroughs as a, as a couple and as colleagues. Let's talk about their relationship for a second because mm. this was the bugbear I had with this film. You've got mm-hmm. this great film that's meant to be focusing on this brilliant woman and her achievements and her accomplishments and, you know, how fantastic she is and what she's done to change the world. I felt like her story was sidelined for this romantic love story and this almost study of the disasters that have come from her work. Mm. I felt a little bit like they were leaning towards that she'd done more bad than good. Well, I think it was the perception of her in society. So she lived and worked in Paris and she was a an immigrant from Poland. So there was that kind of xenophobia and, and stuff within, mm. within the community of Paris. And because she was a woman in this male dominated industry of science, mm. you know, she just had everything working against her. And I think that maybe you felt her story was sidelined, but like her life was sidelined as well. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Mm. Yeah. Her life was sidelined and I wanted to know more about her and her thoughts and her processes and, her dedication to her science. You mentioned before about how the focus 
on the story and the narrative was about a lot of bad rather than good. I found it really interesting how they decided to tell that visually. Mm. So you, and it happened more often and more rapidly as the film progressed. Yep. But you kind of jumped forward decades at a time and saw moments in history that focused on how radioactivity has bettered or destroyed humanity mm. in some way. Like Hiroshima and Chernobyl. Yeah. And, yeah, and cancer radiation to find cures and reduce tumour sizes and things. How do you think that technique gelled? I found it was a little jarring for me. They didn't quite make the transitions work well enough, with the exception of the Chernobyl one. I felt like mm. that transition was quite beautifully done. Mm. Mm. But the rest of them just didn't seem to connect. It was like random scenes thrown in at random points. What did you think? I think where the sound design and the product design and the lighting connected best those transitions felt less jarring but you're right that some didn't quite work Mm. i think it was the one where they cut to nevada that didn't Mm. quite feel right to me so i totally feel you there but i just want to call out how extraordinary the production design was in this film Mm. the like the the challenges and just the sheer scale and scope and feet of that they were literally having to design decades so dissimilar to each other in this one movie so it was this Mm. incredible palette of design challenges did you find that distracting though or impressive okay yeah it was one of the least interesting features for me i mean Mm. i'd like the concept and what they were trying to do but i just felt like there was no time to really settle into any scenes it jumped around far too much for me i think Yeah, yeah no that's such a valid point they were interesting. You know, when they jump into Chernobyl, it's mm. like, oh, my God, can we just stay here for a little bit longer? Because mm. I'm kind of obsessed with that. I don't know if you've watched the HBO series, but I'm like, can we just stay in Chernobyl for the rest of the movie? But that obviously wasn't the purpose. So I can see why it did feel a little bit distracting or a bit of a tease into something that could have potentially been a little bit more interesting. I felt that way about her story, though. It was more mm. that they were teasing her story. You know, they touched on these little scenes and then they cut abruptly, you know. Suddenly she's giving birth. Suddenly she's doing this. And I understand that they had a lot to pack in. It's a whole lifetime's worth of achievements that they have to yeah. pack into this movie. But I think they could have settled in some places earlier on a bit better and fleshed out those scenes a bit better and cut the end act that went on for far too long. Yeah, there was like this weird third act that just, yeah, did not need to be there. I agree. It lost its pacing and momentum. Mm. And I think that Rosamund Pike was extraordinary. And there was some... Oh, she's always amazing, isn't she? There were some absolutely incredible moments. And I felt, to your point about how it cut and you couldn't settle into anything, I felt like her performance never really settled. You never really got too close to her. Because Mm. they kept cutting away and doing these weird and wonderful, random, creative things that didn't quite land, I think. Mm. It would have been lovely to see more of Rosamund doing what she does best. And the really dramatic performances that she was giving and the nuances in her face. and absolutely nuances. Would have really loved to have seen more of that, definitely. Mm. Okay. Bugbear for me, though, two Mm. things to end on for myself. Aging makeup is hit and miss all the time. Why was she aging but the men weren't? Can I just say that? (laughs) Thank you, Lee. You took the words right out of my mouth. The men got a little bit of grey on their beard, but like (laughs) decades later. Yeah. I I mean, why? Oh, my God, why? (laughs) It looked really quite cheap. And I get what they were trying to do with the lighting. There was like this like overexposure, this glow, because it was obviously leaning into the fact that radioactivity glows. Mm. Like I understood the creative decision. 
but it felt a little bit daytime television sometimes, which I think really affected the impact of the beautiful cinematography that otherwise existed. Do you know what I wrote down? I wrote down CSI. Sometimes it felt like a CSI episode. Oh my God, CSI Miami. We're just waiting for... CSI Paris. CSI Paris. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's such a good way of putting it. Okay, so what would you rate Radioactive? So I thought Rosemond delivered a really beautiful performance. We clearly agree that we wanted more of that. Mm. I, I appreciated what they were trying to do visually, creatively with the narrative structure and all the challenges with production design. I just felt like it didn't land quite well. Mm-hmm. And the dialogue for me was very strange, but I found the movie interesting nonetheless because I was learning this history that I was unaware of previously. Having said all that, I think I'm going to settle on a two and a half popcorn kernels. I think I'm going to have to agree with you. It was a bit Mm. of a messy film jumping all over the place, but there were some really nice elements in there, like the cinematography that we said and Rosamund Pike's performance. And the story itself is great. I mean, it's really impressive and she's a brilliant woman. So I'm going to give it two and a half too. Well, there we go. Both on the same page for Radioactive, which is in cinemas now. So the second film we saw and are about to review is Ellie and Abby and Ellie's Dead Aunt, probably my favourite film title of the year. (laughs) Very interesting. And it kind of sets you up, right, for the type of movie that this is, bit left of centre, quite oddball. So it's the story of 17-year-old Ellie who's struggling to find the courage to ask her classmate Abby to the formal. When she comes out to her mother as gay, her aunt Tara, a lesbian who died in the 80s, shows up as a fairy godmother to dish out love advice, whether Ellie wants it or not. So it's pretty... Interesting premise, right? Straight out of the bat. I love the concept. It's an original take on a topic that's really sorely underrepresented on screen. Yeah, of what? uh, Same-sex relationships? Yeah, teenage girls. 100%. Oh, yes, of course, as well. It's written and directed by Monica Zanetti, who wrote the story as a play to begin with, and it garnered so much critical acclaim that it was turned into a movie, and I'm so glad it was. It stars Sophie Hackshaw as Ellie, Zoe Tarakis as Abby, who you may recognise from Wentworth, the Foxtel series. Marta Dusseldorp as Ellie's mother, and you may recognise her from two iconic Australian series, A Place to Call Home and Janet King. And we also had Rachel House as the mother's best friend, Patty, and Julia Billington as the dead aunt. Now, this is an interesting coming-of-age story, isn't it, about being gay? Obviously, it's not something I can personally relate to, but Mm. I think it was so lovely to see this kind of story on screen. And just navigating the awkwardness of a first crush is just beautiful to watch. Oh, it was awkward. That's kind of like the main (laughs) headline of this movie, but it was kind of a beautiful awkward, Mm. navigating those feelings that, you know, we all have, whether straight, gay or otherwise, you know, there's a lot to deal with here. And, you know, Mm. me personally as a gay man, watching this movie even now as a 32-year-old, gee, this movie would have impacted my life as a teenager if I saw this, or even as a young 20, 20 20-something-year-old. I got quite emotional and had this moment when hearing the words in a film, mum, I'm gay, and just hearing it just so, just said so beautifully and raw and open, I thought... Yeah, they just went for it. And I've just had a lot of admiration for the character of Ellie for that reason and many others. That's so beautiful to Mm. hear. And it was interesting to see the different generational attitudes and how far we've come. I mean, there's still a long way to go. But, you know, through the character of her dead aunt, 
which we'll get into a little bit because it's an interesting narrative choice, yes. isn't it? Um, to the character of the dead aunt who died in the 80s and yeah. was having to fight through violence and hatred and bigotry yeah. just to exist, mm. whereas her teenage niece is just like, well, I'm gay and there's four other gay people in my year, so it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. How good is that? It's incredible. Yeah. And I think it's important that this, what this movie did was showcase the different experiences, what it was like for her aunt back in the Mm. 80s and the political undertones and what she was fighting for rights as a gay person. But then Ellie was fighting for her right to fit in, but just in another way. Yeah. And it kind of, she was able to work through that navigation of having feelings for someone. Mm. It just happened to be another woman. Yeah, her sexuality was almost secondary. 100%. Which is great, which is the way it should be. Yeah. It's not, shouldn't yeah. be a thing. No, you exactly. Know. It's interesting to note that authentic casting was really important to the creators of this film. And the cast is actually comprised of 60% queer identifying people. I think that's such an important component that made mm. this film as successful as it was. And it's it's the right thing to do. Like I don't know what else to say. I think it's just the right thing to do that the right representation was part of the creation mm. of this of this film. Let's talk about Sophie Hawkshaw, the lead. She was just so natural and endearing to watch, I found. I really enjoyed her performance. Yeah, I loved her awkwardness, her directiveness. She was just a wonderful protagonist to follow, I think. Mm. And I was particularly taken by... Zoe, they delivered an incredible performance Mm. as Abby. I loved their mannerisms. I think that they really spent a lot of time to try and find her center. They were really quite comfortable with who they were in the Mm. film, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was incredible performances. There are a lot of great supporting characters in this. I want to point out Rachel House, who's a Kiwi actor we've seen in a lot of things, like Thor, um, recently Baby Dunn. She does so much with so little, oh, doesn't she? A hundred percent. And can I just call out one line, which I just laughed mm. out loud. Oh, I love these great little one-liners and she definitely was the one to deliver them. She said, grandchildren is parenting again, but with a sore back. And I thought it was, <laughs> it was one of my favorite lines from the film. And yeah, she just, she's brilliant. So let's get to the addition of the dead aunt as a narrative driver. It's an interesting creative choice. Very much so. And it's introduced quite abruptly. Yes, I have to say that jarred with me a little bit. I felt like I was watching a cheesy commercial when she was first introduced. Do you think it was her performance in general? Yes, that was my initial instinct. Mm. Julia is a really established actress and she gave a really nuanced and beautiful performance later on in the film when mm. there was a bit more meat yes. to it. But I think in the beginning, it just felt too silly and too raised eyebrows and overacting and yeah i couldn't gel with it and i felt exactly the same i think she was directed to be just too much Mm. it was too much if that makes some sense Mm. there was just a lot of animation there and it was kind of it made it harder for you to connect with her i think especially quite strangely because you connected with her a lot towards the end once you yep. knew her story like you mentioned yep. but i also felt like the trope of her not understanding anything that 2020 looked and sounded like because you know she last existed in the 80s and there were all these things about 
technology and life and mm. things, you know, what's, oh, what's that? Never heard of that before. And I think it just happened one too many times. Mm. It was kind of, okay, you just need to settle into what 2020 is and we get the joke. You're, you're like, you're a chick from the 80s. <laughs> and have you been around this whole time or did you just manifest into existence? Like that wasn't really explained properly. You know, was no. she a ghost that was acting as a fairy godmother or mm. was she suddenly yeah, manifested into existence as a fairy godmother just using the image of the dead aunt. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. So I guess they didn't quite spend enough time in making that clear mm. because there's obviously some confusion about that. It's such an interesting tool to mm. tell the story. and I really liked it, the originality of mm. it, but I did feel she was underutilized as well. She kind of dropped off yep. towards the back half and I thought she came in and guns are blazing and then mm. they kind of almost forgot about her. <laughs> so it was a little <laughs> bit strange because, you know, she's in the title of the film. She's the whole reason yeah. why Ellie is working up the courage to talk to Abby and coaches her through, you know, sometimes mm. successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully. Yep. And then it was almost, you know, like, oop. We'll just take a few pages of script out. We'll bring it back later. Yeah, I've come back from my dramatic arc moment, you know. (laughs) So it's great to watch and review Australian films, especially one as independent and a little sleeper hit like this one. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about it or are you ready to offer up some popcorn kernels? I'm going to offer up my kernels. I really love the way this movie blended history and humour into a really refreshingly unique story. The performances were fantastic, and as I said, it's a really interesting narrative choice to add a dead aunt. This is a really family-friendly approach to relationships for LGBTQ kids, and I think it's really important, and I'm going to give it four popcorn kernels. Wow, that's a really, really big rating. I think it's deserving. You loved it. Okay, so my headlines are this. I thought it was a really funky, fun movie And it went to all these sorts of places through its narrative structure that were really original, like you've noted as well. And I felt like it will serve such an important purpose and be a positive impact for kids to see and hear this sort of story in cinemas and part of their life to to lean into and learn and to understand and learn about themselves Mm. as, as a result. What was really impactful about it for me was that it wasn't dramatic. It, it was fun. And it was mm. it was telling this story of two girls who liked each other and they wanted to kind of get to know what that experience was going to be like. Normalizing it. Completely normalizing. Thank you for giving me the words. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, I'm going to give this film a three popcorn kernels just simply because I think it is a movie that a lot of young kids should watch whether they, however they identify themselves. So that's Ellie and Abby and Ellie's dead aunt. And that's currently showing on the festival circuit around various festivals around Australia throughout November. And it'll be in cinemas for a limited run from November 19. Go and check it out, guys. So now we need your help. Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim is up for the listener's choice at the Australian Podcast Awards this year. Guys, we have so appreciated your support of our podcast since we launched in, gosh, April 2019. I know. Crazy. So we would really love your continued support as you vote for us in this competition so head to australianpodcastawards.com slash vote search for popcorn podcast there is actually another one on there so you have to scroll down till you see the yellow logo select us and input your email and vote thanks guys we really really appreciate it 
Right on to news. Yes, so Rams went straight to the top of the Australian box office in its opening weekend, which is so fantastic to to hear and see. The movie stars Sam Neill and Michael Caton as estranged sheep farming brothers dealing with a pandemic in their community. Yep, we reviewed this film recently, so make sure you check it out on the Popcorn Podcast website. And Sam Neill has actually been nominated for Best Lead Actor at the upcoming Actor Awards, which is so deserved. We talked about his performance at length in the episode, didn't we? Incredible performance. The ceremony will take place across two events on November 27 and November 30, so we'll be watching that. Now, the film we all asked for. (laughs) Nobody asked for it. What are you talking about? (laughs) The Meg 2 has found a director in Ben. Wheatley. This movie is a sequel to the 2018 film starring Jason Statham about a group of scientists that uncover a prehistoric megalodon lurking in the Mariana Trench. Not much is known about the direction the story will take, but it's working under the title Meg 2 The Trench. So original. (laughs) Very creative. And there's talk that it is going to be set four years after the original. I wonder what's happened in those four years. Baby megalodon. (laughs) Wheatley is also tipped to be working on Tomb Raider 2, so he's a busy man. This week we got the trailer for Songbird, which is a film co-written and directed by Adam Mason and produced by Michael Bay. It's the first feature film to be made during LA's lockdown, set in 2022 where COVID-23 has ravaged the world. It's a post-apocalyptic movie built from our current reality and there is nothing more terrifying than something that could actually happen. Okay, so the thing that stands out here more than anything, is the fact that Michael Bay is attached to this. So mm. what does that mean for this film, do you think? Oh, it's a very Michael Bay film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like bad boys. Transformers are going to jump up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my save God. us all. Give us the vaccine. Michael Bay, he's coming to save the day. Yeah. I mean, this film, it looks pretty scary. Like, it made me a bit anxious watching the trailer. Oh, gosh. Songbird doesn't have a release date yet, but it'll be coming to cinemas soon. Do you think it's too soon for a movie like this? Oh, yeah. 100%. Really? Yeah, I think so. Touching uh, a nerve? Touching a nerve. Like, it's not like it's over. Like, it's still happening. Mm. And in areas of Europe and certainly the US, it's like back up and winning the fight at the moment. Yeah. We're very lucky in Australia right now. Our friends in Melbourne... Thanks if you're a listener from Great State of Victoria. Oh, we've been thinking of you. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, their lives are slowly finding some sort of normal, but, you know, they've been through the ringer. Yeah, it's far from over. So this film is, like, hitting pretty close to home already because it's not something in the rearview mirror at all. Yeah, we need more movies like Bill and Ted and, you know, hopeful, (laughs) fun movies, not depressing movies. Exactly, like Free Guy, what we just found out tonight, that being pushed back indefinitely like that's the we need ryan reynolds to save the day you know we just need that infectious fun oh tim tim if they push wonder woman i'm gonna riot man i'm gonna riot i think we might have a leave of absence on popcorn (laughs) podcast if that happens lee might need some time oh geez (laughs) all right lee well that's another episode of popcorn podcast very jam-packed we reviewed two films we reviewed radioactive which is in cinemas now and ellie and abby and ellie's dead aunt check them both out thanks for listening catch you next time come and join us in the conversation on facebook like our page at Popcorn Podcast AU and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast. We'd love to hear what you think about these movies.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.